Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi will no longer be able to receive communion in her hometown of San Francisco. San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione publicly banned Nancy Pelosi from receiving communion in his diocese. We'll examine how this move is perceived in the Vatican. Il clericalismo, essere sopra gli umili, sfruttarli. And Pope Francis has changed canon law to open leadership positions in priestly religious orders to members who are lay brothers. We'll talk about what effects this could have going forward. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a sunny but windy room, Colleen. I lost some of my notes en route, as well as my mask. <laughs> oh, no. Jerry, what's what's going on in Rome besides the wind this Well, week? there are two things that appeared this morning, which I think are newsworthy and our listeners would be interested in hearing. First of all, in Hong Kong, Cardinal Zen appeared in court, mm-hmm. and he was charged of not registering properly the fund as a society. Right. This is after Cardinal Zen was arrested, which we spoke about uh, last week on the show. Um, He was arrested for his connections with this pro-democracy legal aid and other types of aid fund. So you're saying that the Chinese authorities say that he didn't register that fund properly? Yes. He and those the other accused pleaded not guilty. Mm -hmm. And it seems they're not being charged under the national security law. It's, It's not clear, but in any case, they have to return to court on the 19th of September. Got it. And he remains free until then, right? He's on bail. Okay. The second piece of news is very interesting, at least from the Italian church. The Italian bishops have voted three names for the presidency of the bishops' conference. And top of the list came out, perhaps not surprisingly, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi. Mm who's the first priest of the Sant'Egidio community and who's quite famous for his simplicity of lifestyle. He's totally on Francis' page, and he's very close to Francis. Mm -hmm. And so he will be the president of the bishop's conference. He came out number one. Francis approved him because Francis has to approve the president of the conference in Italy. Oh, I didn't know that. Got it. Yes, because Francis is technically the primate of Italy. And so he approves the president of the conference. And so that's a second and very interesting piece of news. So beyond that, it's what's on our agenda for today, Colleen. All right, let's jump into our agenda for today. So on Friday, May 20th, this was last week, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione announced that he is barring Nancy Pelosi, who's the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, from receiving communion in his Diocese of San Francisco, which is Pelosi's home diocese. 
Now, just to recap, the background of this decision is the U.S. bishops debate last year started in 2020, extended into 2021 over giving communion to pro-choice politicians like Nancy Pelosi and President Joe Biden. And ultimately, after Vatican intervention, the U.S. bishops stepped back from the idea of issuing a blanket ban on pro-choice politicians receiving communion. And instead, they came out with a much more mild statement. And the decision to deny communion to a pro-choice politician would ultimately remain with each individual bishop. So that's what we're seeing Archbishop Corleone do. Jerry, I want to get a sense from you first of how this decision from Corleone was received in the Vatican. We saw the Vatican step into this debate a couple of times. So how what are they thinking now? Well, I've only spoken to a few people, but I can well imagine from knowing the past debate last year where the senior officials of the Vatican stand. Yeah, we should say none of them have commented publicly. None of them have commented publicly on it. And indeed, it has got very little coverage on the Italian press hmm. because it's seen as a peculiar American problem. Mm-hmm. There was much relief when at the November meeting of the bishops' conference in the United States, the bishops found an off-ramp, a way of getting out of the polarization within the conference mm-hmm. on this question. Right. And now they see, it, they find it distressing that it is back in a position which could even produce more polarization in the church. Now, remember that last year in May, Cardinal Laderia, head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, sent a letter to the American bishops and laid out very clear steps that they should take, advised against taking steps without real reflection, without trying to reach consensus among themselves, and stating very clearly they should try to preserve the unity in the church. Mm -hmm. Then Pope Francis on the plane, you remember, in answer to my question, made very clear that he has never refused in all his priestly life communion to anyone. Mm -hmm. And he said bishops should act as pastors. They should not condemn, they should not excommunicate. Right. And he said, when the history of the church, we see where bishops have gone their own way and acted in political ways, they have brought disaster. What struck me, Colleen, here was the selective use of what the Pope has said. He's chosen things that boost his position. He's ignored other aspects that the Pope has said. One, he didn't refuse communion. Secondly, he encouraged the bishops to act as pastors. Cardinal Laderia spoke about the importance of the bishops maintaining unity, Mm -hmm. trying to find unity, find consensus among themselves. Now, the impression from the few I have spoken to here is that this is not going down that path. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about the justification that Archbishop Corleone offered for this decision. Um, He gave an exclusive interview to our sister podcast, our fellow American media podcast, the Gloria Purvis podcast, and I'll link to that interview in the show notes. Basically, Corleone says in this interview that he sees this as a necessary step. He doesn't see it as political. He says that this is really a step that he didn't want to take, but he thinks that it's necessary because his previous attempts to dialogue with Nancy Pelosi about this have failed. So let's just take a minute to talk about this interview and this justification that Corleone offered. What stood out to you about it? Well, what stood out to me, first of all, is how he as a bishop felt he could deny communion to someone when some months ago he heard the Pope saying, I have never denied communion to anyone. Right. The Pope didn't tell him he couldn't, but he offered his own example. And so this is Corleone kind of setting himself up as, I don't know, taking an alternative approach. 
Well, I think what's striking also is that when the bishops, with a lot of agonizing, as I understand it, between their June meeting and their November meeting, Mm -hmm. came to a position where they were all more or less on the same page. And for the third time in in recent years, in the American Bishops' Conference, since 2004's first time, Mm -hmm. for the third time, they decided not to take a position on the refusing of communion as a policy for the bishops in the United States. Jerry, you also picked up on something interesting in this interview, which was how Corleone uses appeals to authority in his argument. So could you talk about that? He refers to John Paul II in one section to support his position. He refers to Cardinal Ratzinger when he was prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in a letter which was not made public and which he was told could not be used in that sense. This was Ratzinger's 2004 letter to the U.S. bishops when this was an issue around John Kerry. Exactly. And then he chooses parts from what Port Francis has said, but not other parts. Mm -hmm. So what does he cite from Francis? He uses what Francis says about abortion, but not what Francis says about how the pastors should conduct themselves in such situations in dealing with such cases. And then he cites Cardinal Ratzinger as head of the Doctrine of the Faith, but he ignores completely what Cardinal Ratzinger's successor, Cardinal Laderia, says precisely in this period. That Cardinal Ratzinger's letter was 2004, but Cardinal Laderia's letter was in, in relation specifically to this present discussion in 2021, in May 2021. He he doesn't even mention it. So it's a very selective use of sources to justify a position. The the, the bigger question I I see really, the bigger question is why he chose to break ranks with his brother bishops. Some of them will agree with him, certainly, but he knows that a lot will not agree with him. And what his concern for the unity of the church in the United States is, in the light of this position. And the Vatican said that they don't actually even have the ability to do that as a body, right? If they take a position, there needs to be a consensus among the bishops. Mm-hmm. And then they have to come to the Vatican to have the Vatican's opinion. on it. Because remember, you're talking about a bishop's conference. They are part of the universal church. And one of the suggestions from the Cardinal Ladaria, the head of the Doctrine of the Faith, was that they should also consult with other bishops' conferences. Mm-hmm. But here, what I see from this side is that uh, Archbishop Cordileone has decided to go it alone. And this certainly is not a step to foster unity in the church. No, it's really been seen as Corleone throwing down the gauntlet. He would probably respond to some of these criticisms from the Vatican folks that you've spoken to by saying, you know, that her actions as a politician are, he says, it's a it's like a public scandal because of the position that she holds. She has a certain responsibility to model Catholic teaching. But yeah, the thing that stood out to me here was sort of the double standard that seems to emerge between Corleone's approach to pro-abortion politicians and the approach to pro-death penalty politicians. You know, Corleone is a bishop in a state which has the country's largest death row. And yet, whenever Gloria in this interview pushes him on whether this applies to other issues, he continues to 
to repeat the exact same wording. He says, this is different because it's the issue of the taking of, quote, innocent human life. But that's not what the catechism says. Pope Francis has changed the catechism to say that any use of the death penalty is unnecessary and is wrong now. So it was just surprising to me, and I care a lot about this because Louisiana has the death penalty still, that he's going to go so hard on this issue of denying abortion supporting politicians communion, but not death penalty supporting politicians. And actually on that point, just this morning, Nancy Pelosi was speaking to MSNBC and she said, I'm reading her quote now, I wonder about the death penalty, which I'm opposed to. So is the church, but they take no action against people who may not share their view. So we've heard statements from a few U.S. bishops who are supportive of Cordelioni's decision, but most of the U.S. bishops are remaining silent. And presumably that's, you know, the majority who voted for this more uh, even keeled approach in November. We're also not getting any public comments from the Vatican. But I want to ask you, after so much public back and forth on this issue over the last couple of years, why does the Vatican remain silent? Well, the, the Vatican could be the final court of appeal on this one. So we could hear from them. If, if there's an appeal to the, to the Vatican. I, I think the Vatican very carefully sent a letter, which was worked on for some time here, and it seems also had the, the, the Pope's was aware of what, what was written, what was sent, sent a very carefully tailored document to the church in the United States. Mm-hmm. May 2021. This was Ladaria's letter. Which Archbishop Cordelione makes no reference to mm-hmm. in the main texts of his documents. Why? Why does he ignore this? The Pope has spoken on this question. When I raised the question with him, I referenced it in terms of the context of the United States. It was very clear. He was setting out guidelines. When he said that he himself has never denied communion. I'm curious if there could be any consequences for him for going against the Pope's pastoral guidance. I cannot comment on this, Colleen. But what I do see is that there are several bishops, we know their positions in the United States, who have said nothing. Because obviously one bishop does not want to point and say, I in my diocese operate this way. You in your diocese, you're doing wrong. They don't want to comment on, on each other. Otherwise, you'll have... But that's exactly what Corleone has done by... That's what he is doing. He's speaking about his own diocese, but he has only jurisdiction in the Archdiocese of San Francisco. Nowhere else. And then how does it appear to people who don't belong to the Catholic faith in the United States? When they see that Nancy Pelosi, when she goes to San Francisco, she cannot get communion. When she goes to Washington, she can get communion. And when she comes to Rome, she can get communion. So what message does this send to the non-Catholic population of the United States? Right. It seems that you know these questions that you're raising about unity and what messages sends, it seems that Corleone's approach here reveals kind of a a disunity or a willingness to step out of line with the other bishops, whereas the other bishops' silence reveals an attempt to keep unity or to not draw attention to the disunity. So if our listeners want to read more about this, we have more content at americamagazine.org, including Gloria Purvis's entire interview with Archbishop Cordelioni about this decision. I anticipate that we'll be seeing a lot of responses and conversation about this at americamagazine.org, so keep your eyes peeled for that too. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about a change that the Pope made to canon law that would allow religious brothers, rather than priests, to hold leadership roles in their orders. Stay with us. 
On May 18th, the Vatican's Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life made public that Pope Francis had changed canon law back in February to allow religious brothers who are members of orders that also include priests to hold governance roles, including the top rank of provincial superior and superior general. So just to clarify, say it again, if you are a religious brother in an order that also includes priests, you can now hold the top leadership positions of superior general and provincial superior with the Vatican's permission. Jerry, this story might sound really niche to some people. I'm very aware of that as I tell the story. So big picture, why does this matter? It's a separation of authority in governing in the church from priestly orders. And this is very important because up to now, the authority in governing in the church was intimately linked to priestly orders. It was one and the same thing. Francis is separating it as it was early in the church. And this, of course, it's a step in a way against clericalism because you don't have to be a cleric now. Have a position of government in the church. This is very significant. And I think in the long run, in the, in the course of history, we will see the consequences of this. Right. We should say clericalism is this idea that a priest, because they are ordained and because they have a certain authority in the church, is automatically given much more authority and that that is exercised kind of unduly in ways that don't exactly relate to what the priest's mission as a priest is. I think it's significant that Francis introduced this change in canon law, separating the power of governance from the exercise of orders in the church. Before he promulgated the constitution for the reform of the Roman Curia, where he made very clear that you can be a head of a Roman Curia office, now will be called dicastery, without necessarily having received the sacrament of orders. You may be head of a Vatican office and not necessarily a cardinal or a bishop. You can be maybe a priest or a layperson, man or woman, layman or laywoman, or a sister. So let's talk about who this is most likely to affect. The Franciscans were the ones who really wanted this to happen. This dates back to a request that they made in 2017 to elect a lay person as their superior, a lay brother. Although there are Franciscan priests, Francis of Assisi himself wasn't a priest, and so the Franciscans don't really see ordination as necessary for leading their order, although the Vatican has up until now. So what effect does this have for the Franciscans? Can they elect a brother as their head right away? They could elect a brother as, as head of a community. They could elect a brother as superior general. But it, it would have to get clearance from Rome. Francis was, for most of his life, a layperson. When he founded the order, he was a layperson. At a certain point, he became a deacon. And for the first 60 or 70 years of the Franciscan order, they did not have a priest as their superior. Absolutely. His successor was a brother. I think this is very refreshing in the church because it's refreshing for the priesthood because the ministry is seen as separate from governance. Pope Francis, before he was pope, that he spoke very warmly about and really with great admiration about the brothers in the Jesuit order. And he had the feeling always that they were really recognized for the great good that they're doing to the order and the great gifts that they have. He felt that they were somehow being sidelined. And there was, in recent congregation of the Jesuits, there was a discussion on this. Right. The Jesuits question is a lot more complicated. It would involve changing their constitutions. 
So we could very well see a Franciscan brother elected head of the order soon with Vatican approval. We probably won't see a Jesuit brother as superior general anytime soon. So Jerry, thanks for talking with me through these complicated stories this week. I appreciate it. Well, it's very interesting, Colleen, because we're seeing changes in the church under Francis. And I think it's very significant for those who think he's changing nothing. They should realize that he's changing a lot. Yeah, right. I think, you know, this is something that that you and I talk about sometimes where the pace of change in the church can seem so slow, especially as we're looking at it week by week. But when we look at it this week with these changes that have built up over a couple of months, separating out power from ordination, it becomes evident that the changes are happening. All right, Jerry. So we'll talk more about the slow arc of change in the church next week. One final reminder before we go, you can listen to Archbishop Corleone's entire interview with Gloria Purvis. Just search for the Gloria Purvis podcast in your favorite podcast app. Thanks. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Production assistance from Vivian Richard at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Sound engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. Please consider supporting our work here on Inside the Vatican by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.